You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. We are starting a new series today, an Armor of God series, which I'm really excited about doing. And it's not just because I've been suggesting we do this for a while, but it's because, man, this is something that keeps popping up around our church. And I think that God has something very special for this church that he wants us to hear and experience as we go through these different elements of his armor. One of the things that popped up just recently was two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, we sent our elementary kids to summer camp up in Medicine Lake, and their uh, theme for the year was courageous. And the main verse that they used while they were up there, the one that they learned, was Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. And that's where the armor of God comes from. And they spent all week working on memorizing it. Uh, It was involved in some of the games that they were playing and activities. They had movements that they were doing to help them in the process of memorization. And so I thought, you know what? Why don't we have them come up here today and lead us in the first reading of this section of the text as we kick off this new series. And so I'm going to have some of our campers and some of their leaders that were up there a couple weeks ago come on up on stage with me. Welcome. All right. So one of the things that they also learned as they were learning the text um, was that it was a tradition in the past for people to stand as the word of God was read. Uh, It's something that we've done here from time to time, and we don't do it that often, but and just to honor these guys and what they learned with uh, how that honors the text, will you guys all stand with us? All right. Are you guys ready? All right. Take us. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, and with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Ephesians 6, 10-17. All right. Nice job, guys. Great job. Thank you. Thank you for being courageous. I know it is not easy to get up in front of all these scary people. All right. So now we're going to jump back into Ephesians. 
Uh, I am a sucker for context, so I want to set some groundwork for us about the book of Ephesians before we, before we move on. I'm going to throw up a map for you so we can do some geographical context and just let you know where we are in the world as this book is being written. So you will see up here in the upper left is the city of Rome, and that is where Paul is when he is writing this letter to the Ephesians. He is there under arrest, waiting trial uh, under the emperor, the the Caesar Nero, okay? Um, Now, most scholars believe that while he's here, he's not in a deep, dark dungeon of a whole, you know, prison, that kind of thing, because he was a Roman citizen, and so he had some rights and privileges. Most scholars would say that he was under what's called a light chain house arrest, which meant he was under constant guard, um, and he probably even had the opportunity to go about the city if he needed to. And he is writing to the church in Ephesus. Now, this was a church that he planted and he was a part of for three years during one of his missionary journeys. All right? Now, the book of Ephesians has a main idea, a main thing that he is trying to adjust or uh, address with the church over there. And what was going on is the Jewish believers in Ephesus were treating the Gentile believers pretty harshly. They were treating them like they were second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. And so Paul was writing to them, letting them know, like, hey, that is is not okay. Here is what our identity in Christ is. So he spends the first three chapters of that book, of that letter, letting them know, hey, this is who you are in Christ. And then the the three chapters at the end, he says, this is what it looks like to live that out. And those three chapters of what it looks like to live out your identity in Christ culminates in the armor of God. So now we're going to go back to the book of Ephesians. We're going to read what those guys got up here and so courageously recited for us. And we're going to start our discussion on God's armor that he gives to us as his believers. So if you have your Bibles... You want to come with me over to Ephesians 6? We're going to start reading in verse 10. Here's what God's word says. He says, finally, after all these instructions I have given you, after I've told you what your identity is, after I've been talking about how you should live that identity out in your daily lives, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I want to pause here for a minute. Because what Paul just wrote about here, we could do an entire sermon on. We could actually probably do an entire series on spiritual warfare. But we don't have time for that today. That's not our topic. But there are a few things that I want to just mention about spiritual warfare before we move on. First off is this. The existence of evil spiritual forces in our world who are at work trying to undermine God's work and his people is 100% true. 100% true. 
Now, when it comes to spiritual warfare, there tends to be like, there's a spectrum of every, every thought and belief, right? And, and on one side of the spectrum, we have, uh, what you guys, you ever see the movie Usual Suspects? Don't raise your hand if you did. It's rated R. <laughs> it's a 90s movie, and in that movie, there's a quote from, I think it's the 19th century, where one of the main characters says, you know, the greatest trick the devil has ever done is convince the world that he doesn't exist. And when I looked at that, and I, as that came to mind for me as I'm thinking about spiritual warfare this last week, I was like, I don't know if that's true anymore. I don't, I don't know if that's actually his greatest trick, but maybe there's something else. But after a conversation I was having with somebody last week about that, I was like, you know what? Actually, I think it is. It just looks different than what it may have when that was first said. You know, nowadays, you know, we have... Uh, all this entertainment and these you know, TV shows and movies and books that, talk, that give us this picture of the devil, of Satan. And what you walk away from when you, if you watch those things or read them is like, this is a big joke. Like there's no way this guy could exist. It's absurd. Not, not even the church of Satan. If you go to their website and look at their beliefs, not even the church of Satan believes that he's a real person. That's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, it's crazy. And so, this idea is perpetuated in our entertainment, it's online, like, the devil is absurd, there's no way he could even exist. And I think even as believers that we can be affected by that constant message and we can become complacent about who the devil is and what he is at work doing. We can forget that, you know, how Peter describes him in one of his letters, that he's a ferocious lying lion, prowling about, looking for people to devour and to destroy. But when you're thinking, when you think about the idea of uh, spiritual warfare, that, that is like on one side of the spectrum where people are like, no, nah, he doesn't even exist. There's no evil forces out there. It's all absurd. The other side of the spectrum on that would be people on the side of like hyper sensitivity to spiritual spirituality. Now, in and of itself, that is not a bad thing, right? Like we have to be aware of the fact that there is a spiritual battle going on around us. We cannot ignore that. But where that might get a little overextended is when you start to see a devil behind every bush. Right? Like every bad thing that has ever happened to you or someone that you love, the devil did it. It was his fault. Every bad decision you made, the devil made you do it. Now, is, is he tempting us to make decisions that have consequences that are destructive to ourselves and those around us? Is he working to undermine the work of God and the kingdom of heaven here on earth? Absolutely. Absolutely he is. But when you're sitting on that edge of the spectrum, like you are giving him way more power than I believe he has. We have to be accountable for own decisions. Right? We can't be blaming the devil for every bad thing that happens. So we have to live in this tension between where we are indifferent 
to spiritual uh, warfare or consumed by it. We have to realize that it, it does exist, it is going on, and we have to engage in it. But we also have to remember that in the end, we know how it ends, right? There is victory for the kingdom of God. There is victory for God's people. That is how it ends. The last thing I want to mention about the spiritual warfare piece here in this text has to do with what Paul is addressing in this entire letter. Remember, he is trying to tell these people that they are not one another's enemies. And I think that's what he's doing here, is just reminding them, look, you guys are not one another's enemies. Stop fighting against each other. You have a common foe, the devil. That is who you need to be fighting against, not one another. And that is the encouragement for us as well. As we continue to work through this series over the next six weeks and every day of our lives, like the person sitting next to you, the person at your work, the person online that has a different opinion than you do, they are not your enemy. We have a common enemy. It's the devil. That is who our battle is. That is who our struggle is with. And that is why God has given us this armor to help us in this spiritual battle. I got a picture of armor for you guys I want to throw up here. Um, and as you look at this, it probably doesn't take a, a lot to imagine as Paul is sitting under house arrest, constant guard, and looking at something like this every day. It does not take too much of a stretch of imagination where he got his inspiration for the armor of God. But as you look at this, like... We see our six elements that we're going to be talking about over the next six weeks. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the sandals of peace, the the shield of faith and helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit. But there are things that, those are the six that Paul chose to address. There are some things in here that he doesn't address that are parts of their armor. Some that's included here, some that's not even showing up. In this picture. But he's very specific in the six things that he chose to use as he was writing to the Ephesians. And Paul's a very smart guy. Like he, I don't think he does anything by accident. He was very intentional with everything that he did. And so he has an intentional purpose by why he chose just these six things. It was interesting to me as I was, have been studying this over the last, I don't know, year or so, like, there was something that never dawned on me as a purpose of what he was doing with the armor. There, he has this distinction between two sets of three of these things. So the first three things, we're going to throw up a, a table here for a second. So you have these six elements of the armor. The first three that are mentioned in the letter, the belt, the breastplate, and the shoes, are things that Paul lists as to be as for us to be always having on. Like when a soldier, a Roman soldier, would always have his belt on, his breastplate, and his shoes, always, no matter what. And then when it was time to fight, he'd take up his shield, put on his helmet, take up his sword. And that's the same that Paul is doing with this section of text. He wants us to always have these things on. And when we need them, 
to take up the shield and our helmet and our sword. Not to leave them behind, though. Like, that's, that's not what he's intending for that. But for it to always be near us so that when the battle gets fierce, we will be able to take those things up and fight off the devil. Now, my hope is that as we go through this series for the next six weeks, that this will be in the back of your mind and you'll be thinking about, okay, why is this the thing that God wants me to always have on? Does it make sense? And hopefully that you will see why, why, the different, why he separated these things and why it is very effective for us as believers to always have on the belt, always have on the breastplate, and always have on the shoes. It's just a part of who we are in Christ. Well, let's go back to the text. Let's jump back in at verse 13 and read about this first piece of armor that we're going to talk about for the rest of the day. Verse 13. Therefore, because of the spiritual battle that we are in, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. So our first piece of armor that we're going to talk about for the rest of our time this morning is the belt of truth. Now, I don't know about you guys. I live in the 21st century in the West. And when I get dressed, the belt is not the first thing that I put on. And so it's like, why is this the first thing that is brought up? (laughs) You know, sometimes... Sometimes in our sermon club during the week where we sit down, we talk about the sermon that's coming up and the one that just happened or whatever, we'll go off on little rabbit trails. And uh, this last week we were talking about this exact thing, like why is this the first thing to, to be put on? And one guy was like, well, what do you put on when you first get dressed? And so we all start talking about what we put on first. And then one guy's like, well, I know some people that put their socks on first. And that just, like, stopped the conversation. (laughs) And we all kind of looked at him. And I don't know if... uh, He shall remain nameless. Uh, I don't know if it was like he was trying to be funny or if he was doing one of those just asking for a friend moments. But, like, what kind of heathen puts on socks on first, right? Like, if that's you out there, I'll be praying for you because you need Jesus more than the rest of us. All right, rabbit trail, even here. Let's get back. Belt of truth. All right, so the belt of truth. Why the belt? Well, again, for us to get a fuller picture of why he chose this piece of armor on the, on the Roman soldier, we've got to go to the context and try to understand what the belt was even used for. So we've got a picture up here of what one of the belts might have looked like. I have one up here as well, as you can see. Uh, I'm going to take this off and kind of use it as a prop as I'm talking about it. But this belt was called a kingulum. Um, each week we're going to add new pieces of armor to this thing. It's going to be really cool. You're going to love it. I'm going to love it. Still trying to come up with a name for him. Casper? I'm not sure. Uh, but the kingulum, the belt, had, was made of leather. 
had these leather straps that you can see here in this one I'm holding and that one up there that had metal usually attached to them. Kind of makes it look nice and decorative, right? Now, the, some of the main functions of this belt. One of the main functions of this belt is this is where you would hang your sword. Your, that's also known as a gladius. Or your pugio on the, one, on the left side. That's like a little dagger. If you remember back to that picture, he had a sword. If you caught it, he had two swords, which is weird. Um, one hanging on and one hanging his hand. I think that's Old Testament, New Testament. But uh, So he had the dagger that hangs on there. So that's one thing. But the other thing, the other main function of this belt has to do with these leather straps. Now you can't really tell because I'm holding it like this what that might be. But if I put it on... Like this, these leather straps are now strategically placed on my body. Stop staring. <laughs> so these leather straps are hanging here, and the, the metal is, hang, is on there not for decoration, but to hold these things in place so that if I'm in the middle of a battle, these things are going to stay here to protect me, protect one of my most vulnerable areas on my body, right? So if I get struck in the groin, it's not go- this is designed to try to absorb a lot of that blow so that I don't get completely taken out. Like it is, if I get struck here and I'm not wearing this thing, it can be a life or death issue, right? If I, I'm going to be uh, un- uh, incapacitated, that's the word I was thinking of incapacitated, and I'm going down. Now, I know some of you want to have Josh come up here and throw something at me to see if it actually works, but we're not going to do that. So we have this belt who has, that has two main purposes. It's holding my weapons on it, and it's designed to protect my most vulnerable place. Now, If that's what the intention of this thing is, is to protect my vulnerability, like why is this not called the belt of salvation? Right? Surely my salvation is the most important thing. Surely my salvation is the thing that protects my most vulnerable areas in life from the enemy. Or, or why not the belt of faith? To be sure of the things that are unseen and confident and hopeful. Like, why is it not that? Why, why did Paul decide to call this the belt of truth instead? It's because tr- Paul knew that it is actually truth that protects us in our most vulnerable places. And why did he believe that? Why did he believe it was truth? I think a lot of times when we think about the belt of truth, we think about gathering more information, the correct information. So, like, is it, be, is it the belt of truth? Because if we just rely, we just gather enough information from the right sources, 
then we will be able to stand against our enemy. Then we will be able to not be hurt by people around us. Then we will be able to not be vulnerable. Then we will be, be protected. If we just have all the right information. Maybe. I think that might be part of it. But I think that Paul is saying there's more to it. You know, as Paul writes this, I wonder if he has in mind some of the many things that Jesus said about truth. I love the Gospel of John because there is a lot of references that we have in there about things that Jesus said about truth. Like in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John 18, 37, when he's standing before Pilate uh, uh, in his trial, he says, I was born on this earth to testify to the truth. And there's lots of others, but the one that I want to take us to today, that I want us to read, that I think might give us an idea of why truth can protect our vulnerable areas, is in John 8. And in John 8, Jesus is having this conversation with some Pharisees, and they're asking, they're trying to figure out who he is. Who are you? What is this message? What are you doing here? And we're going to jump into the middle of that conversation and see what he says about truth. John 8, 31. It says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then, after you hold to his teaching, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. As I thought about this more, like how do I explain to you guys what is coming to mind for me as far as like, how does truth, how does being free from truth protect our vulnerable places? And it made me think of relationships. Like relationships are a super vulnerable place, aren't they? And I think the only way that I can really describe to you guys what I've been thinking about with this is just to tell you a story. So it was about a dozen years ago, yeah, Kathy and I were doing a parenting class, and one night we were sitting down with our son, he was like nine, ten years old at the time, and we're just talking about some of the things that we were learning in the class, and this night in particular we were talking about um, confession, confessing our sins, um, repentance, turning away from what we did and um, returning to the path, forgiveness, Amends. So this was their topic. We're talking about this stuff. Um, how when we when we do something wrong, if we wrong someone or if we sin against some ourselves, like we we need to confess that. Confess that to the person that we have wronged. Confess it to God. Ask for forgiveness. Repent. Like stop doing what you were doing. Go back to doing things God's way. And then if you need to make amends, repay things like to do that. It was a good conversation. He went to bed. It was great. Then, like a couple of nights later, I think it was, we sent him to bed. We're sitting out in the living room, just having a conversation or watching a show. I don't remember. And not too long after we went to bed, he came back out, and he was just bawling. 
just crying. We're like, dude, what is, what's the matter? I'm like, oh, he must have had a really bad nightmare or something. And in between sobs, he finally gets out, I'm sorry. And Kathy and I were like, this is weird. What, what are you sorry about, bud? What's going on? Like, this must be something serious because he is really crying hard. This is devastating him. Eventually, he's able to get out to us how two years prior to that, during Halloween, when we had told him one night that he couldn't have any more candy, that he had to go to bed, after we went to bed, he snuck out, grabbed a bunch of candy, took it to his room, and ate it. Like, in the grand scheme of things, this is nothing, but this ate him up for two years. For two years. And then when he heard about the freedom that he could have from that guilt and shame a couple nights before that, I think it, you know, the Holy Spirit just worked in him, led him to this moment to come and confess to us what had happened. to take up truth and gird himself around, to take it up and live it out. Take up his belt. You know, I don't think he, uh, I don't think he realized it then, but what he did in that moment was he protected our relationship moving forward. Because you guys all know, like, the relationship between parents and teenagers It's not always that great. And what he did in that moment was establish a firm foundation of of trust with us. You know, I I believe since that moment, I can't say for sure, but that was the longest that he'd ever gone since then to to not tell us the truth about something that he did. Like, he is, he is one of the most honest kids I know. He, was, he just graduated college. He was digging through some stuff from a school that he went to in Lolo, and all these kids are writing stuff about him. Like, every kid, Isaiah's honest, Isaiah's honest, Isaiah's honest. Like, his ability at 10 to take up the belt and put it on and live it out. And that, I have so much respect for that. And it has done nothing but solidify the relationship that I have with my son. And this is what I believe Paul is calling all of us to do. To live out moments in our life where we are afraid to tell the truth to the person that we've hurt. But he wants us to take up that belt Each and every day we start out with the belt of truth. We are surrounding ourselves with truth. Yes, we have got to get in the word. We've got to know what Jesus says, what he did, what this Bible says. That is where we get the truth. But if we don't do anything with it, then we might as well not take it. But that is what he is asking us. Like This is what's going to protect you. This is what is going to give you the firm foundation that you need 
in order to put up, put on all these other pieces of the armor. And that's why it has to be something that we have to wear all day, every day. That's why it has to go on first. Because without truth, there's no trust. Without truth, there are secrets, there's vulnerabilities, there are things that we can be easily taken out of the battle by. But he is calling us, telling us in this battle that you are certainly in, the first thing that you must do is surround yourself with truth and live it out. Now that piece about what it looks like to live out truth, to hear more on that, you're going to have to come back next week. Because next week, Greg is going to be up here and he's going to be teaching on the breastplate of righteousness. And I know that that is one of the things that he's going to be going through on that sermon. And I'm really excited to hear what God has been working through him about that uh, topic, but... But in the meantime, we are going to celebrate communion together as a family. So, if you're new here with us today, if this is your first time, um, we have what we call an open table when it comes to communion. And all that means is that everyone is invited to the table. Everyone is invited to the table. But if you have not made that decision to surrender your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have not made that decision to follow him to the best of your ability for the rest of your days, like, just hold off on this today. Instead, find one of us staff members or one of the people that will be up here praying and ask them. Ask them why following Jesus was the best decision they ever made in their life. And I know they'll tell you. But for us, we're going we're gonna to take this moment to remember and celebrate what Jesus did on the cross for us. We're going to celebrate the truth that he shared that night. That he was given his body up for, for us. It was on that night, on that final meal with his, his friends before he was taken to that cross, that he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take it and remember, uh, in remembrance of me. Let us remember the truth of who Jesus is. And after the meal, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant, which is in my blood. Do this in, uh, in remembrance of me, as often you drink it. So let us remember the freedom that we get to experience because of what he did. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to come together as a family. Lord, to lift you up in praise. To to come along one another and to celebrate who you are. To celebrate the things that you have done in our lives. Lord God, I thank you for what you, uh, the word that you gave Paul so many years ago. These words of encouragement that, that you have not Put us in this spiritual battle, Lord, without the things that we need. You have given us the armor that we need 
to Lord to, to stand firm in those moments. And so, Father God, I pray for your church here. Lord, I pray that you will help us to be courageous like our kids were today. To live in the truth that we learn from your word and from one another, Lord. To not let any secrets, uh, any barriers exist between us as a family, as a church, or between us and you. Lord, help us to to feel and experience the freedom so that we may be protected in our vulnerable areas. God, we love you. We praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.